Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Nassim Chatta, who works at the Alliance for Global Justice, AFGJ. She is the coordinator for the Prison Imperialism Project. She uncovers and analyzes the way the U.S. builds and manages prisons in other countries. Her writing has appeared in Mask Magazine, Truth Out, The Abolitionist, and Upside Down Magazine. You can learn more about the issues she researches at afgj.org slash prison hyphen imperialism. We'll have the link up at talknationradio.org. Nassim Chatta, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on, and thanks for educating me on this topic already. Uh, I imagine I'm not alone in being unaware that the U.S. is is putting prisons in other countries. Uh, what What is this uh, international U.S. prison management program? Yeah, so this is something that's run out of the U.S. State Department. And basically, this entails... Uh, over 100 U.S. prison advisors in different countries around the world. The U.S. is involved in the prisons of 38 different countries, um, deploying people to Latin America, Africa, and some in Asia as well, mostly. So there's been tens of thousands of foreign correctional officers from around the world trained in U.S. incarceration techniques. Beyond that, the U.S. has built new prisons, there have been six new prisons built in Colombia since this program started there in 2000. And the U.S. has prisons designed for completion right now in Niger. We believe that there are many other countries as well where the U.S. has actually built prisons. Um, so this has uh, this started in 2000 in Colombia and it subsequently spread all around the world. It's characterized by a shift overall towards a culture of militarized containment and retribution rather than rehabilitation. That's the type of that's the type of thing that the U.S. is teaching and um, providing funding for other countries to implement. Um, it, within the State Department, the funding mostly comes through international narcotics and law enforcement, and but not exclusively. And it's usually accompanied by a broader programs of justice sector restructuring. The police and the courts are also things that the U.S. has gotten involved in in every single one of these countries where we're involved in the prison system. I was not aware that this was going on. I mean, I knew of all the prisons in countries that the United States occupies, including Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, you know, so many prison camps. Uh, But this, does this come out of that or this comes out of efforts begun in in Colombia. Yeah, so that's actually interesting that you bring that up because the U.S. has had these black sites um, in the Middle East, but we've also been doing the exact same thing. We've we've actually built prisons in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, and it's under the same type of model, although the funding is kind of directed through the war on terror rather than the war on drugs. But actually, so there's, so there's one, two different kinds of prisons that the U.S. is involved with globally. Um, 
So there's the kinds that are U.S. run, and those would be Guantanamo, the CIA black sites, um, these sort of secret places where torture goes on. And then there are the types of places that are technically run by other countries, although functionally often the difference is quite blurry. So these things were actually conceived around the same time and as part of the same project. Before 9-11, Colombia was one of the largest recipients of USAID, and we were spending billions on billions of dollars there. Um, we were fighting this expensive war on drugs, getting deeply enmeshed in this ongoing social and political conflict. So the first prison that we built in Colombia was called La Tramacua, and that opened up in 2001. Guantanamo was established, the prison at Guantanamo was established in 2002. Um, and so actually the, the two types of things, one technically run by Colombians, one run by the U.S., um, they were deeply enmeshed. Um, and then in countries like Iraq and Afghanistan, we actually did build, as I said, they, we actually did build up their prison systems in a similar way to what we did in Colombia. Um, and then in some of these prisons, like the one in Colombia, the U.S. Bureau of Prisons had an office inside of the of the prison building when it was first built. And looking back, U.S. State Department officials sort of talk about this as as if it was sort of one larger initiative, like. William Brownfield was recently quoted saying that uh, we get a C plus to B minus on getting Colombia, Afghanistan, and Iraq to use their prison systems in a way that meets their counter narcotic, anti crime, or counter terrorism objectives. So functionally, it's all sort of part of the same larger project of strengthening. I mean, the, ration, the supposed rationale is to strengthen the world's prisons in order to be able to hold these high-profile narco-trafficking criminals or high-profile terror, terror suspects, although the rationale is, I would argue, quite different from the real reasons, which are to maintain and create U.S. dominance on a world scale. Was uh, I, I'm guessing the U.S. public has never been asked whether it wanted this uh, sort of initiative. Uh, I don't know if if you know anti-prison activists within the U.S. are aware and engaged with this. How did how did AFGJ find out about this and become involved in this? Yeah, the U.S. public has absolutely not been asked. These are pretty clandestine programs that the U.S. is running. Um, the State Department will put out these very long uh, reports about what they've been doing and sort of deep deep within it'll say, oh, and we trained X number of guards in this country. Um, but much of it really isn't public. So we, we started finding out about this in 2009. At that time, I, I still hadn't started working for AFGJ, but one of my coworkers was working with groups that were supporting political prisoners in Colombia. And so activists of different stripes were getting jailed by the government in Colombia. Um, and many people were 
seeing, so many people here and in Colombia were noticing that a lot of the political prisoners were being sent to one particular new prison called La Tramacua. And this is kind of an unusual prison by Colombian standards. Like it's off really far away from uh, many big, many things. It's off in this part of Colombia that's very hot and also kind of far away from major cities. Um, it's designed as this maximum security facility. Um, and it's also exceptionally poorly designed. Like, it gets about 10 minutes of water to prisoners per day. Um, there's fecal contamination in the food. Uh, a majority of the population inside was reportedly sick. Um, and, and, so, and there were repeated incidences of torture as well. So our allies in Colombia were telling us that this was a U.S.-built prison that the Colombian political prisoners were being locked up in. And so my coworker who was involved in this thought to himself, oh, that's a first. Like, we knew that the U.S. was deeply involved in the police and the military and the justice sector, but he was curious about this prison thing, which seemed very new. So he started reading State Department documents and U.S. State Department documents. And he found out that there was something called the Program for the Improvement of Colombian Prisons, which had been signed by both U.S. and Colombia. And this was, we believe, part of the larger Plan Colombia, um, which was a security agreement between the U.S. and Colombia. So we learned that there was a plan for over a dozen new prisons. Um, as it turns out, six have actually been built since the inception of this program. Um, and then he kept on kind of poking around in these State Department documents, reading the program for the improvement of Colombian prisons, um, this very dense document. And it mentioned that the U.S. was involved in the prison systems of over 20 countries around the world. Now we know that the total is more like 38 countries. Um, so that's how we initially found out about it. We initially didn't know really what what to think of this, like if, um, because we really couldn't find very much about it. So we've had to find out um, kind of backwards, essentially, like since the State Department will not say how the money is being spent, they won't lay out the exact countries where they're involved in prison management programs. Um, we've had to sort of look at each country and trace backwards whether the U.S has been involved in the prison system. And, and it's not, Nassim, it's not just U.S. running prisons and training people how to run prisons, but also, uh, as you mentioned, criminal justice policies and using people mm -hmm. like Rudy Giuliani to, tr to train people to lock more people up for smaller crimes for longer time so that incarceration rates are, are increasing along with the, the prison construction. Is that right? This is... Um, an example of broken windows style policing. Um, this, so as Colombian prisons have had more and more um, space, space opened up by these new prisons that the U.S. has helped build, they've just quickly filled it up. So more things like drug crimes are now offenses for which people can be incarcerated in Colombia. Um, and this is really one of the biggest U.S. priorities is to go into countries 
um, where we're fighting this supposed war on drugs and restructure their justice system so they're prioritizing things like drug crime. Another sort of interesting example is copyright offenses. Like, the U.S. really doesn't want its intellectual property to be used in other countries, so we'll often go in and kind of push them to prioritize criminalizing copyright offenses, sort of things that really have little to do with the health and public safety of their country, um, drug crimes, and then also to push them to restructure their justice system so that they're um, criminalizing terror in the way that the U.S. wants them to be criminalizing uh, terrorism. We're speaking with Nassim Chatta, who works for the Alliance for Global Justice. It it seems bizarre for the U.S. to be exporting something that it's sort of the worst at in the world, but uh, apparently there's something called the International Correctional Management Training Center, uh, you know, a school in Colorado since 2011, where people are brought and trained, and as far as I know, there aren't any big protests outside the gate as at the School of the Americas. Um, I, I don't know if there's any any opposition. Uh, what do you know about this this place and its activities? You know, not much. Um, I don't really know much about what gets taught there, and I really would love to know. Um, they haven't released anything about the syllabus or the the things that they're teaching. Um, yeah, so I, I don't really know. And I would love to know so we could um, evaluate it. This is basically a clandestine program. One thing that's sort of interesting is there's at least one private company that's involved in this, Colorado Corrections Industries. Mm. Um, and presumably they get government contracts to operate these trainings. And, training for and, international guards. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're getting contracts for the trainings. What about who's getting contracts for the prisons in foreign countries? I mean, who's who's getting rich off of this, if anyone? We would love to know that. We we did submit a FOIA request recently, and so um, yeah, we didn't get anything back. Not a big surprise, but we would absolutely love to know who is getting the contract to build the prisons, do the food, the phone service. Um, We've heard rumors that in Honduras, it's a U.S. company that's running the phone systems in Honduran prisons. But yeah, so far, nothing nothing hard and fast that we can point to 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 show that somebody is getting rich off of this. In, in in your article or uh, that you wrote at uh, Truth Out or in another that you sent me, I saw a reference to prison industries, which sounded like code for slave labor, uh, which is something that has a, a strike going on now in, in the state of Florida. Um, is, is that part of the plan to put prisoners to work in these prisons? Um, that was in the BuzzFeed article that I... I didn't actually write that one, but I thought that was um, interesting, and it was interesting that it was somewhat uncritical. Like, I'm, from what I understand, the U.S. is teaching the prison guards of other countries to put prisoners to work at some type of industry, and little was said about who who gets 
the profits from that? Are those supposed to be the profits that run the prisons? Are the do the prisoners have a choice? Um, and why are we why are we teaching this around the world? Um, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it was in your article, though, that you touched on some of the ways that these prisons are different from uh, other prisons, that, uh, you know, isolating prisoners and depriving them of sunlight and, and solitary confinement were sort of not what prisons in Honduras were were used to, uh, that this was a U.S. prison model. Is, is that right? Yeah, so the U.S prison system is actually quite distinct um, in a world world scale. Like some of the things that are characterized U.S. prisons, the unusual things that characterize U.S. prisons, we accept as quite normal. Like the fact that many of our prisons are very far away from population centers, uh, which can be really destructive for families here in the U.S. Like they have to take long bus rides um, to to see their family members, for example. Um, that's unusual in other countries where prisons um, are often in the located in the areas where the prisoners are from. Like, for example, Mexico didn't even have federal prisons until pretty recently, and we're almost certain that this is a U.S. US influence, the, the creation of these federal prisons. Um, where prisoners convicted of so-called federal crimes would be sent to these big maximum security facilities far, far away. Um, so that's a big, a major characteristic of prisons that the U.S. builds. Um, these prisons that are in population centers are often, at least, at least from what I've seen in Latin America, they're in these buildings that are kind of indistinguishable from just the buildings around them, except for they don't have windows, um, and you put, they are easily easily accessed by by walking there, transit, things like that. Um, so that so a big characteristic of U.S. prisons is. I mean, honestly, that they look just like U.S. prisons, like like they sit on big pieces of land and have multiple layers of barbed wire fencing, like multiple checkpoints to get in. Um, the ones that I've seen are also heavily patrolled and militarized um, by either military or police. I saw one in Honduras that is one of their new U.S.-built maximum security prisons, and it looked... It looked exactly like it had just dropped from the sky, like from the United States intact. Um, it looked exactly like a U.S. prison, basically. And so the, I think the rationale, like the idea is that these are going to be hyper-secure prisons. In reality, they're basically theaters of intimidation. They're not really more secure. Like, it's not actually super dangerous people that are being locked up who who are now more securely held because in reality when prisoners get let out of prison in Latin America it's often just due to corruption so the corruption is still there if not more so and the prisoners 
can just be let out by guards. Like there have been some really high profile breakouts of uh, gang members from these prisons that the U.S. has helped to build. So that's one one big shift in prisons that the U.S. is helping to influence is making them far away, really militarized. And then another thing that the U.S. is encouraging is solitary confinement, supposedly as a gang and terror group control strategy, but really it gets used on all kinds of people, including political dissidents and just regular people who have been convicted of crime. Um, so the people that we spoke to in Honduras, the um, people who did basically social work in prisons were saying that the conditions which are supposed to be better in these U.S. prisons, at least that's what the rationale is, the conditions are actually way worse because the prisons are way more punitive than they are now. And the, the rationale, the, the mood now in these justice systems and these prisons is just lock people up, fill up all the beds, um, use it as kind of this tool uh, of basically scaring people and creating terror in their own population. I, I wonder, Nassim, how some of these prisons relate to U.S. strategies uh, in terms of, of militaries and war, because, I mean, you, you call this the prison imperialism project, and I think it may have been in that same BuzzFeed article, uh, it sounded like they were using one of these prisons in Niger to, to lock up uh, essentially enemies in war, terrorist uh, organization members who even uh, subsequently attacked one of the prisons to try to uh, to free the prisoners is is that part of this model is that it's to be used for for prisoners of war absolutely so from the very beginning this has been a part of these prison management programs we found out about these prison programs through our work with political prisoners in Colombia who were all kinds of people like labor activists um, just campesino, like country, the farmer organizers. Um, that some of them were guerrilla, communist guerrilla group members. Um, so the political dissidents and have been locked up in these prisons that the U.S. is building since the very beginning. And that's actually central to why the U.S. is building these prisons around the world. We call this prison imperialism. Um, basically, that's because these prisons are always in very poor places, almost always in the global south, in countries that are U.S. proxies in their respective regions. So when the U.S. goes in and builds prisons and restructures systems, we not only see increases in numbers of prisoners, but also an increase in political arrest, because we're basically handing these neoliberal corrupt governments a new tool um, in their to repress their own citizens. Prisons are, are for this reason, a main part of the infrastructure of empire, which also includes police and military and economic infrastructure. At AFTJ, Alliance for Global Justice, we think prisons are central to this because they're this new way of, of exerting control around the world. Um, in, in that, it's kind of seen as part of civil society rather than explicit military control. 
So it's sort of seen as, or the State Department would like to portray it as a basic, basically charitable tool that they're handing these countries as part of aid, but really it's part of um, repressing uh, populations in places where the U.S. may be in uh, something like war. Do you, do you think that anti-war groups should be opposing foreign prisons and that anti-prison activists should be opposing foreign prisons? And, uh, and is any of that going on? And, and what, what do you recommend people do who want to help? Absolutely. Yeah, so I do think that it would make a lot of sense. Um, and so far... So far, there, so there has been a really long history, especially in um, Black nationalism, to be anti-imperialist. Um, so those are groups that are really connecting the U.S. control of populations of Black people in the U.S. And they're saying that that's the exact type of, type of thing that the U.S. is doing by being this imperial power worldwide. Um, so there is a really long history but because these U.S. prison programs are basically pretty unknown, like the U.S. government hides them and there are these sort of clandestinely run things where, like, literally no data is released about them, um, it's hard to kind of build a movement around that. But that's basically the, US, the U.S.'s strategy is to be um, very secretive and kind of conceal conceal all its bases around the world. Like, all the U.S. bases in Africa we only know about because um, of a FOIA request. That And that was really recently, even though the programs have been going on, even though those bases have been being built for a really long time. So, yes, absolutely, anti-war activists need to be opposing the U.S. prison imperialism worldwide and also be opposing mass incarceration and in, our, in my opinion, the entire prison system here in the U.S. and vice versa, activists working against the prison system and mass incarceration here in the U.S. need to understand that this has become a global phenomenon. So they have more allies, perhaps, than they even know all around the world. We, we've got just a minute left. Nassim Chata from Alliance for Global Justice. Can people help AFGJ in this work? Uh, well, what, where can we send people to help? Um, people can check out our website at afgj.org slash prison imperialism, prison hyphen imperialism. Um, my contact information is up there at this point. Um, we're really trying to learn more. So one of the one of the best things people could do is try to dig into this and do research about the specific countries they know a lot about, and figure out if and why the U.S. is building prisons there. Um, so we would love to work with more people and to kind of crowdsource information about this because. 
Great. Really, the U.S. government is not releasing anything. So all you researchers listening, get involved. We've been speaking with Nassim Chatta, who is the coordinator for the Prison Imperialism Project at the Alliance for Global Justice, AFGJ. We'll have all the links up at talknationradio.org. Nassim, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much for having me. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, Please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.